Hello, everyone, and welcome to our final moments, the first episode. I'm Dr. Kel Mitchell, and today we're going to be talking about a really big and broad topic, which is what even is death? What is dying? And what does it mean to do those things? This may seem like a somewhat heavy thing to start with, but let's be honest, this whole podcast is going to be a little bit heavy. And if this is your first time really thinking about the end of life, about death, and about dying, sometimes it's good to start with a basic definition. And that definition is going to be different for different people from different walks of life. And we're going to get into why exactly that is. This is something that we're going to bring up over and over again on this podcast, and that is values. Throughout this episode and subsequent episodes, you're going to notice that theme of bringing up what is it that you value? What are your core beliefs and how does that apply to the end of life? And then the decisions that you will make surrounding the end of life. Most of those hard decisions we come to, like whether or not we want hospice or we want surgery or whether we're getting CPR and when it's time to say no more chemotherapy, those are all based ultimately in those values. And so we'll circle back to that quite a bit, both in this episode and in future episodes. And again, as I said in the intro, I encourage you to take a pause as much as you need to. Listen to a section of this episode, come back to it after you've had a cup of coffee and a good hard think. Talk about this with your friends, with your family. Use this podcast as an excuse. I am a very convenient excuse for you for this. But you'll notice that people do have strong opinions on these things because again, we're dealing with their core, core values. So you know what, let's dive straight in. I want to start by saying that our understanding of dying is by its nature somewhat limited because the thing is, none of us have lived to tell the tale of what it's like to die, right? It's universal, it's inevitable, and yet I can't tell you what it's like to actually go through it because I wouldn't be able to make this podcast if I had. So first I wanted to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be dying, the verb. What does it mean to be dying? This is actually a fairly complicated thing. It's a very misunderstood topic, both among the public and even in medicine in general. Most people think they kind of know what dying is until you get down to the nitty gritty. It's kind of an I know it when I see it type of thing, but a concrete definition falls apart. So most of us would say that we know when something is dead or not. For example, there was a cockroach in my bathroom. It scared the bejesus out of me, squished it with a slipper. It's dead now, right? It was there and now it's not. Boom, black and white, we're done. But reality is not so clear. So when we talk about whether or not someone is dying, when do we actually decide when dying starts? And are you dying and living at the same time. So for example, once someone gets really close to the end of life, it's very easy to say that they're dying. Once there is this steady, constant decline and rather a steep decline too, a precipitous decline, it's very easy to say, oh, this person is gonna get worse and worse and worse and worse, they're dying. 
that's often how I personally think about the active sort of dying. But there's also this sort of passive idea of dying. For example, some people will tell you that anyone with a terminal diagnosis is dying. Anybody with a terminal diagnosis, even if it's treatable for years or even decades. There are some people who've had the same terminal condition, such as heart failure, liver failure, or certain kinds of cancers that live for many, many years. But they're not going to get better. They'll continue to decline, but their decline is just slower. People with dementia are largely the same. The decline will happen, but it's so slow that you're just not sure, you know, is this person actually dying? It can be hard to say. The other aspect of that is we can extrapolate even further out from there. There are some people who will say that as long as you are not actively developing, you are dying, and that we all actually start dying in our 30s. Our brain finishes developing in our late 20s, and at some point, we go ahead and start the decay half of aging. There's that half of aging where you're getting bigger and stronger, and then there's the half where you're kind of getting weaker with time and your metabolism slows down. I've even heard some people say that from the moment you're born, conceived even, you are dying simply because you're alive and your life will end in death, and therefore life is a terminal condition. That one may be a bit more extreme for some of you out there, but some people really do think that way. And so we have this span of people who are dying. And if this span of dying includes a significant amount of time where we're awake, where we're alert, where we're doing things like driving and grocery shopping and working and buttoning our own shirts, then I would argue that dying and living aren't so separate at all and that they can exist at the same time. But of course, that will depend on you and your definition of what you think dying is. So this brings us to the death itself. When is someone considered dead? Back to the cockroach in my bathroom. I squished it. Now it's gone. But it's a little more complex than that. A lot of people will say, oh, you know, when the pulse is gone, right? When the pulse is gone, and the heartbeat is gone, that's when someone is considered dead. But if we dive into that a little bit, we're going to find some exceptions to that rule. For example, there are people who have continuous LVADs, these assist devices that kind of pump for their heart. And if you feel for a pulse, you won't feel one because they have a continuous mechanical pump doing the work of their heart. And yet, they're walking around, doing their grocery shopping, going to work, hanging out with their grandkids. Very much alive, most people would say. In addition, the idea of the heart that has to stop beating, you know, we think about people who get heart transplants, whose hearts have to be at some point removed and hooked up to a new one. Or we think about people who have CPR. Their heart stopped. And for a minute, they had no pulse. Maybe for several minutes, they had no pulse. But we got one back. So some people would say that people who got CPR were in fact briefly dead. Is medicine just modern necromancy after all? Or 
were they actually not dead at all? A real world example of this that I think about a lot is a patient that I had in the ICU, elderly woman who fell down a flight of stairs and after about a week in the ICU, it was becoming very clear both to us and to family that she was not going to wake back up again. A story that happens quite often. And I went in to speak to the family. Son was there, grandkids were there, daughter was there. Son is holding the hand of, of daughter very, very tightly. And let's be honest, no one's making eye contact with me. No one makes eye contact during these meetings. It's all ceiling, floor, hands, whatever else, because they're in such distress. But I remember this so clearly because the son grabbed the hand of his sister and he looked at me straight in the face when I asked him, you know, what's your understanding of what's going on? He said, my mother died a week ago. That's not her. She's in heaven now. All the while, his mother, or his mother's body, had been lying there on a breathing machine with a spontaneously beating heart for the past week. And every now and then, about once every minute or two, she might give us one spontaneous breath. Certainly not enough to maintain life on her own. But for them, it was an easy decision to say we're done, to say we don't need to do this anymore, because they thought she was already dead. And so you'll find that there are people who think of this heartbeat definition of death, this sort of pulse definition, the true biological definition of death even, that all life processes have ceased. But you'll find it's actually quite common for people not to believe in that at all. And that people will instead view either a brain or a consciousness theory of death. This idea of pronouncing someone brain dead. The lights are on, but no one's home. The heart is beating. Maybe some breaths are happening. But the person as you knew them is not in there anymore. Which coincides some with a soul theory of death. And again, this is where we get into your beliefs, your values. Do you even believe in a soul at all? Is it intrinsically attached to the body or does it just kind of inhabit the little meat sacks that we're walking around in? And in the case of this son, of this woman who'd fallen down the stairs, he subscribed to a soul theory of life and a soul theory of death that we are living as long as we have this soul, this ecumenical sort of existential incorporeal part of us that makes us us. And that once that's gone, you're kaput and we're done. But not everyone believes that either. And it's an important contingent to think about those people who think that as long as the heart is beating, they are indeed alive. There have been cases of people who have struggled with the push of hospital providers to end things like life support, especially in young people, for obvious reasons, because they don't believe that they're dead. And there are some people who will view the removal of that tube, even if there's no brain activity at all, as murder. 
And so as you sit here and you go through these episodes and you're thinking about, gosh, what do I think for me? What do I think for my family? I want you to ask yourself that question. When do I consider myself dead? When do I consider myself gone? It's not an easy question to answer. And I don't expect you to have an answer for it now, today. But it's possible that you're making this decision for someone else as well. And when we do that, I would encourage you to think about your own view as well as what you think theirs would be. So it's very common for people to have very different beliefs within the same family. And it may be that you are making decisions for someone who has a very different worldview than yours. And it's important to think not only about what you believe and what you want, but what they believe and what they would want. Equally important to think about, if not more important to think about, since you're making decisions not on your own behalf, but on theirs. So as you're considering the answers to these questions, as you think about what it means to die, you also have to think by default about what it means to live. And that is its own talk, for sure. But people have their own opinions about this as well, about what kind of life is indeed life and what kind of life is worth living. A separate question, all into its own. And a question that we will start to tackle in the upcoming episodes. These values around death, life, and the end of life are complex things, intrinsically associated with the values of life. And to end this episode, I wanted to drive home a point. I am going to die. You are going to die. And everything and everyone you've ever known, never loved, will die at the risk of sounding like the most depressing person on the planet. It is true. It's not meant to be depressing. It's not meant to be macabre. It's just meant to get you thinking. Because for example, once late at night, I was back in the emergency room with a 92 year old woman, extremely short of breath, gonna need a breathing machine to survive. Chances of eventually getting off the breathing machine, essentially zero, right? And I'd asked her if she'd ever thought about the end of her life, if she'd ever thought about things like breathing machines. And this 92-year-old woman looked at me just incredulous. I might as well have slapped her in the face. And she said, why would I ever think about something like that? And a week or so later, in the ICU, she died on a ventilator. And her daughter, who was in her 70s herself, lamented that her mother died in the hospital and not at home, not surrounded by her family. And they wrestled with the decision to take out that tube for the reasons that we discussed earlier. If I take out that tube, am I murdering 
my mother. Depends on your definition of life and death and what kind of life is worth living. But the thing is, we're all going to die. Even if we develop the technology to avoid aging and cure diseases, the sun is going to swallow the earth. And even if you jumped from the earth to another planet, well, that sun's going to swallow that one there too. And eventually, they're all going to be sucked up into black holes and dispersed into dust throughout the universe. Alternatively, depending on your worldview, there may be a more abrupt end to the world and to the universe before anything like that has the chance to even happen. I am fully aware that some of you may find this content depressing, upsetting, sad, but I don't think of it as very sad at all. It is because of death, because life ends, that the life we have is so very precious. Without death, without aging, you'd never grow up, and you'd never watch your kids or your grandkids grow up either. No matter how rich you are, how poor you are, the language you speak, what you do for a living, your time will end. So we need to talk about it. We can shove it in this little box in the corner of our minds and lock it and pile all of our other thoughts around it and put it in a closet that we never open. And you can do that for a while until eventually you can't anymore. And 90 years later, the box will open itself and all those thoughts and anxieties in the closet tumble out like all the clothes that I didn't actually put away when I was a little kid. So the question is not whether we want to die. It's how we want to do it. And you can put all of your thoughts about death and dying and the end of life into that little box. And you can hope and pray that you're not awake when it opens because it will at some point open. Or you can open the box and decide what you want to put in that box so that when it opens, your death is everything that you wanted it to be. You can put it on your shelf somewhere where you can see it instead of hiding it in a corner and remind yourself every day just how valuable, just how precious your life actually is. So with that, I want to thank you for listening. And in future episodes, we'll go a little more into details about how to prepare for those moments, how to talk about those moments, as well as more things like this. Things to get you thinking for your own future and for your loved ones. And since my time will come and yours will as well, I want to thank you for spending such valuable time with me today. And I hope that your last moments are everything you ever wanted them to be.